0: I'd like to welcome you to the ministry of McCormick's Creek Church. We certainly hope that you will enjoy this selection. And uh, I don't think we took a card up for this gentleman, but it's certainly nice to have you. I, I Just give him a hand clap. It's good to see you, sir. Very good to have you. Amen. I, uh, uh tonight I, I'm going to do a little different tonight. I'm kind of out of my, uh, out of my comfort zone. And, uh, I, uh, but I feel led of the Lord to bring this to you. Um, now, Sister Robertson, she uh, has since I was a young man. Real, well, I can say since I was a young man because I'm not that anymore. I am getting older. Uh, Brother Davis informed me that I was middle-aged, and I don't know what middle-aged means. But uh, I, last Wednesday, I turned 37. And um, I I think that's close to middle age, but so but she told me since I was a young man, a kid preaching here, she said she come to me one time. She said, "I'm sick and tired of hearing you apologize for what you preach." So I'm going to start out tonight by telling you I'm absolutely not going to apologize for anything that I say tonight. But I do have to qualify some things <laughs> i uh I'm going to lay it on the lap of the lord and he 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 told me what to to say matter of fact, I got to my end of my notes, and God spoke to me and said, "Don't type anything else. I'll give you what I want you to say at the end and so i uh didn't. I come tonight to preach a message for my pastor. This is for him. Um, I'm not going to get choked up. Uh, I uh, (laughs) what I say will depend whether I get choked or not. He says, "No, I'm not going to get choked up." There's two messages. I grew up in a pastor's home. I'm gonna. You may be seated. You may be seated. There's two messages that a pastor does not like to preach. Number one is on most pastors, if their heart's in the right place, they don't like to preach on giving. Because they think in their mind that people look at them and say, well, he's preaching that because it benefits him. And then the other thing that a pastor does not like to preach is spiritual authority. Because they think, well, he's the authority and he gets all the the benefits of preaching that message. But can I tell you that those two messages does not benefit him as much as it benefits the the congregation. I want you to understand that when he stands in a pulpit and preaches on giving. Or if he doesn't preach on giving, he's literally, your hands are being tied from receiving blessings. And when he doesn't preach on spiritual authority, he's doing you an injustice because power flows from the top down. And you won't have any power if you don't understand that concept. So those are the two messages that he don't like to preach on. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to uh, bottle all all that he don't like to preach, and I'm going to preach them for him, for his benefit. It's not brownie points. I don't need brownie points or anything. Okay? I'm just going to preach for him. If you could stand for one moment, I'm going to read a scripture, 2nd Samuel 23:13 through 16. Uh October was uh pastor appreciation month. I didn't get to preach. I don't think uh on a on a uh, Sunday night. I, if I did, I it I didn't get to preach a pastor appreciation. So I'm going to do that for him tonight. 2nd Samuel 23 13 and 16, and three of the thirty chief went down and came to David in the harvest time in the cave of Adullam. And the troop of the Philistines pitched in the valley of Raphim. And David was then in a hold, and the garrison of the Philistines was then in Bethlehem. David longed for water and said, Oh, that someone would get me a drink of water from the well near the gate of Bethlehem. I want you to hear what he just said. Oh, that someone would get me a drink of water from the well near the gate of Bethlehem. And the three mighty men break through the host of the Philistines and drew, out, drew water out of the well of Bethlehem that was by the gate and took it and brought it to David. Nevertheless, he would not drink thereof, but poured it out unto the Lord. And it's simply, I want to preach tonight a message for my pastor. And I, I, I just want you to, to grasp what I'm, getting, what I'm getting ready to say because I think that this will benefit us in the long run and make us stronger. The message is going to be blessed in Jesus' name. You may be seated. Go down clapping in Jesus' name. I don't want to bore you, but for a moment I want to talk to you about the place that I come from. It's, 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 uh, you ask probably what in the world does it have anything to do with, with uh, this message? But uh, I, I, uh, I want to talk to you about the place that I come. It's a little town called Ziegler, Illinois. It's, it's, just, it's a spot in the road. And I don't have any desire ever to go back and live in Ziegler, Illinois. I have no desire to go back there. But from time to time, I thoroughly... Enjoy going back home to visit, Ziegler, Illinois. It was a once upon a time town that was booming back in the thirties and forties, a town of about forty thousand people. Uh, the coal mines were were, uh, were booming there. It was this, it was matter of fact they've got a a, a a Ziegler coal mines in Chicago, Illinois. It's a it's a big outfit, but it started in Ziegler, Illinois, and it, now it's a mere seventeen hundred people. It's just a spot in the road. If you close your eyes for a minute, you'd miss it. There's absolutely nothing spectacular about Ziegler. Nothing. There aren't any elaborate houses to speak of. It's just an ordinary place with ordinary people. Uh, For many, it's just another ran-down, simple town. My wife and kids would tell you that it's it's, it's just a mess. And now uh, it's being overtaken by meth. Labs and uh, heroin and crack cocaine. It's 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 really a, just a pile of junk. Town really is, but there's something about that town to me. It's a personal thing to me. It's more than just a place uh, that 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 people think it's just a, a ran down place. It's more than that. I I have a lot of great memories in that place. Uh, the the ran down park in that town is the place that I. have Shot My first basketball the little park that's got grass growing all over the place that my kids laugh at and think it's a joke I hit my first home run there. I I went to kindergarten there. I I remember Some very good times in that town. I spent approximately 18 Christmases Thanksgivings and vac- and, 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 and uh, holidays in that town. I, I received the Holy Ghost and was baptized in that town. My, I was called to the ministry in that town. It was just, but to most, it's just an ordinary place. I remember I killed my first deer out the, outside of town. It's, it's a very, uh, uh, it's a place that I can go back, Brother back Krause, and draw strength from. And I like to go back there. Because it reminds me of the good things in my life. I recognize that place because certain things happen in that town that made me who I am today. And uh, I, I, uh, at times you'd think I was crazy if, crazy if you'd seen the place. I sometimes lay in bed at, bed at night and I think, man, I'd like to go back home. I would not want to go back. Stay, but that's that, that, that place is in my life, it was a very special place that I have in my life. But I'm, I want to skip to our text to read about the text uh, that we read about in King David, who had among his armies 30 mighty men that found rest and refuge in a cave. The intensity and the weariness of the battle, the Bible talks about the men that he was with, that one man had killed. Uh, 300 and another killed 400 and 600 and 800 men. They had been on the battlefield and they were worn out. They had, been, they had blood all on their hands and they were worn to pieces. He had felt as if he had nothing left to give. He had invested everything that he had into those men and everything that he had in himself. And he put it in those men, and he made them great warriors in the lives of everyone that was around him. If you read the Scripture, the Bible says that his butlers, his servants, became giant killers. He was the light of Israel. And David, he is worn out and he comes to the point in his life that he felt as though that he had nothing else to give. The reality for David was that the battle had taken its toll on him and he felt like he couldn't go on any longer. Imagine with me he the place that he was at in his life. He is weary... In his body, he's weary in his spirit. he had fa- fought and risked his life for the people of God. He had given of himself not for personal gain either, but to build everybody around him for the benefit of the ones that he loved, for the people of God. but he wanted them to have longevity and he wanted them to have strength and he wanted them to have skill and, and have a better life. He, that's, he, he loved the people of God. I'm talking about him in a way here tonight. He was their protection from the enemies that desired to destroy the people of God. He was, and he was their light. He, the Bible says that David was the light of Israel. And David was going to do everything in his power to protect that, those men, women, and children that he loved. And now he finds himself Resting in a cave, he is trying to rest because he realizes that there will be more battles to come, more battles to fight in the future. So a cave became his temporary uh, safety or his home. I'm sure it did not make David's situation When he found himself in the cave, I did a little studying on that cave, Adam, where that cave was positioned at. It was that cave was positioned approximately two miles south of the of the valley that he killed Goliath in. Two miles. It just goes to show that the place of victory. And the place of weariness and pain at times isn't very far from each other. One day you may be strong, Pastor, and the next day you feel like you've spent everything that you've got. You don't feel like you can make it out of bed. One day you feel like you have it all together, and then the next day you wake up and you wonder what in the world happened and the enemy has knocked him out. But can I tell you tonight, and you can rest assured that through it all, that the same God that walked onto that battlefield with David the first time when he walked up to Goliath, the same God that walked down with him in that valley was the same God that would eventually carry him out of the cave. Hallelujah. God's not just a God of victory. He's not just a God of when we have it all together. But can I tell you that God is more powerful when we feel weak in our body and we feel sick and we feel like we can't help somebody. That's when God steps up and says, I can be God now. David, he was the light of Israel. He was Israel's rest... He was their salvation. He was their giant killer. He was the one that taught men to defeat the fiercest of all enemies. But now he finds himself in a cave. Finds himself hiding, weary from the battle, tired from the stress and the responsibility of leading men into battle. And in this time of pain, he begins to think about his home. Things that make us feel comfortable what's the first thing you want to do when you're having a bad day at work you go find you want to go home you want to get under the blankets and you want to fall asleep and forget about the day and then David, he, he's just had a bad time in his life. He's worn out and he, he, all of a sudden, he begins to think, there's got to be a better place than the cave that I'm in. There's got to be a better place than the pain and weariness that i have I found myself in. And he, he couldn't describe it. And so he just said, I'm just, I'm just thinking about home. I'm getting ready to prove that to you in a second. He starts to reminisce about the things and the good places that he wants to do. Perhaps a place where he had received a fr- refreshing drink at another time when life was a little simpler and more peaceful. <laughs> when you didn't have very much responsibility. I'm, I'm going to tell you something. It's not a real easy job to be a pastor. Say, why in the world would anybody that had you in their right mind want to be a pastor? If they really understood what it took to be a pastor, if you're not called, you would find something else better to do or a little easier because it's not an easy job. Hey, you, you have an eight hour, nine hour, ten hour shift, he never goes off of his shift. Preaching is just a small part of a ministry. And at this church, and I know you've seen him get bombarded. That's just a little part of the ministry. That guy goes home, that lady goes home and goes to bed and gets woke up at night with prayer on their mind and crying in their spirit and intercession, crying for children of God. And so there's times when he says, I wish there was a simpler day. I'm not trying to embarrass you. I'm just, I'm, 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 I'm here. I got your back tonight, okay? David, he goes back and he starts to reminisce. He says, I, I wish I could go. Back home, and perhaps to a place that he could he could rest, and David, in a moment of weariness and longing, expresses his deep thirst, his weariness and thirst thrust his mind back in time outside a gate called Bethlehem. I believe tonight that it was more than just a desire to quench a physical thirst or a wanting of a drink, but it was rather a drink of a water from a place of a great memory that would build his heart and his mind and give him strength. I can see David as a boy. I can imagine him and his father going on an adventurous hunts, and as they approached the burning candles of Bethlehem, of that little hometown, they stopped for a quick drink of water together. Father and son drinking from that same well. I wonder how many times David, as a strong, uh, vibrant young man, walked up to that well after a long, hot day, looking uh, after his father's sheep, and he got a cup of cold water, and he tipped it back, and it it almost made his long day worth it just having that cold drink of water. I like to believe that it was the same well that he comes back after he drops Goliath where he stood and after they, that great victory in his life. It was a strong place in his life and he finds his way back home to tell his dad that our house has been set free from, uh, from taxes and he comes in and he tilts his glass back and he drinks Drinks to the better day. It was a part of a good time in his life to David. The memory of that well represented strength in his life. A drink from the well outside of Bethlehem obviously would bring peace uh, to his wearisome mind and his tired body and his situation that he finds himself in. I have a hard time believing that it was uh, just a drink that he wanted. It was more than just wanting to quench a physical thirst. There had to be another cup of water somewhere. There had to be a creek bed somewhere with water running through it. There had to be a waterfall somewhere or a lake or a river somewhere in the vicinity of that cave. But he did not want that drink. It was more than just wanting to fulfill a physical desire or thirst. This drink represented a memory. It stood for strength and it stood for peace in his life, not a need for a physical thirst. Notice David what he said. He did not command someone to get and bring him this drink. He was a king. He was a fearsome individual. He had the authority and he had the ability to say, Go get me a drink. I I, I think just being around David, I'd been a little scared. He was a bad dude. Hey, don't think that his sickness uh, is a weakness. He's still, yeah, he said it. He's still meaner than a snake. He, he could have commanded a drink. And you can guarantee that all 30 of those men that he had in that cave would have stood up without any questions and said, I, I will get you a drink, David. You've done a lot for me. He did not give a commandment. Notice what he said. He said, oh... That someone would get me a drink of the water from the well near the gate of Bethlehem. It was simply a wish. I'm getting ready to preach to you. It was simply a wish. It was not a command. See, good leaders don't have to command. They command with their presence. They command with their anointing. They command with their call. God does the the commanding for them. And notice what took place after His wish. Three men took notice of... And decided to do something about what he wished for. The important thing is, i got to get it through in your mind. It was not a commandment. It was simply a wishful desire. He had the right to tell them what to do. But he wished. He simply stated a desire. And without any hesitation, three men, didn't say, hey, Dave, King, we're going to go do this. They just got up and did it. I wonder what would happen in this place. I wonder what would take place in the Spirit if when that man got up and said i wish there was somebody here that would worship come on come on can i tell you how this thing works this is a river That flows. It's not His authority. It's God's authority that works through Him. And when He stands in this pulpit and He gives, and nothing's given back to Him, then He'll find Himself in a cave somewhere, weary, broken down, tired. But when we give back to Him, He can do His job like God called Him to do. So I wonder, what would happen if you got up and preached and said, I wish to God somebody would get out of their comfort zone? I wish somebody would run the aisles right now. What would happen? I wonder what would happen if he got up and preached and said, I wish somebody would get anointed. I wonder what would happen if that man got up and said, I wish somebody would dance. Oh, if I could just go back to the well that made me feel powerful and gave me strength. Oh, you're not going to feel like shouting when I tell you this. When he preaches holiness. And we go out and we live like we want to live. That is a slap in the face to that man. Hey, I know we're supposed to please God and we're supposed to please God alone. But when He's preaching the Word of God, you're not supposed to just please God. You're supposed to honor His Word and His authority when He preaches the Word of God and it's in there. And when you don't honor it, you take strength from Him. Oh my I ran out of notes. Look, my page is blank. See, they can't get mad at you tonight, Pastor Robertson. They can get mad at me. I get weary. I get weary, Pastor. I know you're going through that, that thing, and God said you're going to get healed eventually. But I'm going to tell you something. Life would be a lot better if you didn't deal with people that would that that would go against your preaching and your words. I'm not It'd be a lot easier for him if he could go to bed at night and not have to worry about people, not honoring the scriptures. Oh my that when he stands. He gives his heart and he, he studies and he prays and he puts everything into it. And people walk out of this place and, and disrespect him. It just frustrates the time out of me. You're not my dad. I'd I, I, I like to protect my father, but I'm going to tell you something right now. I'm here because I'm going to protect you. I believe that there should be people under their feet saying, Pastor, whatever you ask of me, I'm willing to do it. There's not going to be any questions on my part. I want to do what you ask me to do. Now I'm really going to, I could spend a lot of time on. On, on those three men, and I, I admire them. You know what? Those three men didn't have an easy job. The Bible said, the Bible said that there was a line of the enemy that had formed a garrison through that uh, through, through a boundary, if you will, into the uh, the place of Bethlehem. Can I tell you that our task is not going to be easy? Some of the things that you ask of us, Pastor, is not going to be easy. But we got people that get up to the line, the the enemy's line, and we look at them and go, "It's really not worth it." Those three men had to burst through the line, and they risked their lives. Can I tell you why they were able to do that? Because David had invested so much in them. And they were, they were there because David had taught them to kill giants. Do you know why I'm so eager to want to please him? Because he has taught me how to kill giants. it wasn't a strong task. It wasn't as strong task to go get a cup of water. It's easy. Who's got an empty glass? It's easy to walk around with an empty glass going to get it. But those jokers had to break back through the enemy lines to bring back the anointing to the man of God. And they had to Carry it carefully without spilling it. There's a lot of people that are very very careless with your call and with your anointing. Most of you would be walking around spilling it, not caring. And by the time you got to Him, everything was spilled out. But can I tell you, if you care anything about the ministry, you're going to make sure that you're not going to drop your anointing out before you get it back to Him. that when you get back to Him and you give Him that drink of water, He can tilt it back and say, I have done what I'm supposed to do by investing in a church. But then I got reading further in the Scripture that there was only three men that went there. And at first, I thought that was a negative thing. There was 30 of them. Which would mean, Brother Davis, that there was 27 men that did not go. I'm not very good at math, but 27 minus 3. Or 30 minus 3. (laughs) 30 minus 3 is 27, right? Does anybody got a calculator? And it seemed as though that... Only three guys got credit for going after the water. But then it hit me. There's going to be a few people that get the accolades and that get to be seen ministering. But the 27 didn't get any credit. That was such an insignificant job. No. They stood at the mouth of the cave with swords. And they said, you come into this cave, and you mess with the man of God in my life, your head's coming off. Can I tell you that there's too many people that's seeking after fame and seeking after the visualizing ministry in the churches and there's not enough people standing at the mouth of the cave with swords to say, you come here and I'm cutting your head off. And so I get an attitude saying, you mess with my pastor? and I'm going to stick a sword in you. You know, oh man, I, I, here's where I'm going to get in trouble. Listen, some of you, are, I'm just, I'm just going to tell you, and I'll get whooped later. I'm going to tell you something. Probably, for the most part, not every single one of you may not be here in the next five years, whether you go leave this church or go somewhere else, whatever reason. I'm just talking about past experience of people that walk out of this place. Can I tell you this? Keep your mouth shut about my pastor. You know what? You get on Facebook and you talk about my pastor and you talk about my church. Guess what? I'm not going to talk to you about it on Facebook. I'm going to come to your house and I'm going to bring God with me. There should be people standing around this man with their hands. Not with a knife in their their hand and uh, sticking it in his back. But you should have a Bible, a sword on his back and saying, I pray that the anointing would rest upon him. I'm skipping through this really quick. But I'm telling you this in the Holy Ghost. You want to have a church, a revival church, you take this man in your prayer and you pray for him and you lift him up so God can lift him up. I know what it's like growing up in a pastor's home. I know what it's like standing there, and I'm not supposed to be hearing the things that's going on, but I listened and heard my dad and my mom getting beat, talked about. You know what I'm talking about, Sister Davis, and anybody else that's been in ministry's home know what it's like to see a man that uh, ten years ago he had all black hair, and ten years later his hair's falling out in white. Not him, look at him. You don't use die. Remember, I told you I was going to stand there with a sword. (laughs) But I know what it's like to see my parents broken down. Oh, forgive me. I know what it's like to see my mom and dad age 30 years in just five years. Because people had torn them down. But we can prevent it. We ought to be lifting them up every chance we get. I'm not talking about making brownie points tonight. I'm talking about lifting the man of God up. It came a time... In the life of David, when he was, he grew older. And I'm not saying you're incapable. I'm not saying that. I told you I wasn't going to qualify what I was saying, but I'm just letting you know, it's no disrespect. It Come a time when David got older in years, and he's, he's getting ready. He didn't feel like getting up, Pastor Robertson. He started putting on the armor getting ready to go out for battle. And somebody with some sense said, David, you can't go. You taught us to kill giants. You've, you've, you've done enough. You've invested in me. You've prayed for me. You've built me. I'm the preacher I am today because of you. I'm the prayer warrior I am because of you. I teach Sunday school with passion because of you. You sit right there and I'm going to do your job. Because he was the light of Israel. They were the re- uh, David was the only reason they were able to break through that line anyways. That's what drove them past the enemy. That's what drove them to get the cup of water. So they come back with that water. And they bring it back to him. And they gave it to him. And he's so unselfish. He brings it to him. I said, "Here, here, David, your king. I want you to have it." He doesn't drink it. Don't pour it out here. Here, give me it. I'll take it. You just act real good, okay? They bring him the water, and he stands. And he looks at his men. I mean, he's looking into their heart and soul. And he knows what they've gone through. He knows that they've had pain in their family. He knows they've had deaths in their family. He knows they've had broken homes in their family. He knows that some of them was orphans. He knows that somebody had, was abused when they was a kid. And he looks and he says, This is the same drink of water that these men risked their life for. He could have drank it, but he knew it would have been a slap in their face because people had risked their lives and invested in him. So guess what he did? He poured it out. He said to himself, if everybody can't drink from this well, I'm not gonna drink either. So I'm gonna sacrifice my comfort for you. that's what he's done for years. He has poured out water. You know why? Because he has seen your investment in the ministry. He has seen your investment in giving. And he knows that he ain't going to be comforted any time. He knows that if he drinks, that he alone will be comfortable. So what he does, he he still plugs on his back. I, 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 I'm not... I'm, He just keeps plugging on and he keeps working and he keeps investing in you and he keeps loving you. But what meant most to him was that 30 men were willing to invest and risk their life for him. They had a lot... More things they could do. That was a little more easier. They they could have they could have done a lot easier things in their lives, I'm sure. They 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 could have just crawled somewhere else and said, I'm done here, I can't do this. Which brings me back to which is a different story. It may seem like it's canceling this message out, but it brings me back to Uriah. The Hittite, when the king done his sin, and Uriah, he comes home in order to try to hide the sins of the king. And Uriah, he comes home from the battlefield because the king wants to cover his sin up. This has nothing to do with what I just preached, I'm just I'm trying to tie two things together. I'm not trying to cancel out my message here because it was the same guy, David. You understand what I'm saying? David, Uriah comes home and the king, he, he sends food to his house to his wife because he wants him to go in t- t- to his wife's house to, to, uh, to, you know. And Uriah, he lays out side the door of the house of the king. And he doesn't go home the next day. David finds out that Uriah didn't go, and I'm going to tell you why he didn't go because Uriah said, "There's people on the battlefield that is dying, and I refuse to go home into the comforts of my bed and get comfortable when everybody else is out there dying for the cause of the people of God. And I wonder how many times that he's had the opportunity to get comfortable. And what he does, he sleeps outside on the ground. and He says, I can't go home. I can't get comfortable. We have the greatest pastor that you could ever ask. I'm going to tell you right in front of everybody. I'll look at every one of you in the face and I'm going to let you know what I've said it. And I feel uncomfortable saying it. But I'm going to let you know, I feel uncomfortable sometimes because I I fear people think that I'm trying to take His place. And I'm not trying to take His place. I will never be able to take the place of Him. But I believe that if we don't, 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 don't misread what I say, if we don't coddle Him, if we don't handle with him, handle him with soft gloves, that he'll be so tired that he can't help us. That if you got a beef in the church, you come to me, and I will take the blunt force of it. don't call his family to pour out your problems don't don't i mean there's some things only he can take care of and i uh, god has given me enough wisdom to understand the things that i won't be able to handle because i don't have that call i'm not in that position but there are too many things little silly things that we throw on him that he don't need to handle. That I'll deal with it. Don't call him and text him at 3 o'clock in the morning to tell him that your ingrown toenail is bleeding. Don't call me either. Put a band-aid on it, take a picture of it and text me tomorrow. I've had people call me and tell, I've had people call me, and I'm just telling you what, I know what he goes through. I've had people call me at 3 o'clock in the morning to tell me that such and such died and had died seven days ago. And they had their funeral three days ago. And I got woke, I woke up, didn't I? What do you want me to do? Go pray for resurrection. There's some things that he can't do anything about. Don't expect him to fix all your problems. Because he can't fix problems. We serve a God that can fix your problems. And if we would learn to take it to him, take it to him. He's the resurrection, he's the power, he's the answer. So, my point is this that if we could guard him. He could do his job without being so weary and hurt and broken down. I know this wasn't a message of shouting. How do you give an altar call to this? Where do I go now, Brother Davis? Except to ask you to stand. And I'm asking you to direct your prayer. Hit it. Okay. Okay. You feel like standing. You, you feel like standing down here. And, and and tonight he's not feeling real well, so I'm going to ask you not to to bother him too much tonight. That after we pray for him, he can go home or do whatever he wants to do. But I'm going to ask his family. I I, I don't want to put you on the spot, Sister Robertson, but I'm going to ask you to come down here, and I want you to stand by your pa- by your pastor, your husband. I'm going to ask his family. I, I, I know, uh, Sister uh, Darn and Brother Rick's not here. But We're going to pray for them. I'll tell you what I want to do. The Bible says to call for the elders of the church. And that's what I'm going to do. Now, i, I, I tell you what. I, I want all the people that's over 60 years old, I want you to come up here. I don't want you laying hands on their head. I don't want you laying hands on their head. I want you to come up here. If you can make it up here, I want you to stand around them. And I want you to.